You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. One in four American adults belongs to an evangelical Christian denomination, making this voting bloc one of the most influential religious groups in the country. In this segment, Faith and Freedom Coalition founder Ralph Reed joins the Washington Post to discuss the power of the evangelical vote in the 2020 election. Let's listen. Hi, and welcome back. Um, Our next guest is Ralph Reed, who is the founder and chairman of the Faith and Freedom Coalition and uh, also a best-selling author. Um, Ralph, I'm so glad to see you again. Um, A fellow Georgian. Thanks so much for having me. I'm from Savannah. I had grits for breakfast this morning. (laughs) Did you? (laughs) I did not, but I did not know you were from Savannah. I don't know how I didn't know that, but uh, it's nice to have a fellow Georgian on the uh, on the call today. Always. Um, I I've read part of your book. I've read excerpts and I've read a lot about um, your book called God and Country. Uh, but first, I just wanted to ask you one question, which is something that many evangelical Christians have said, which is that they do believe that God has sent Trump to save America. Do you believe that? Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I talk about in the book that there have been some who have uh, said that Donald Trump is a modern day Cyrus or Darius, the Old Testament figures who uh, delivered and um, acted as saviors of a sort, certainly in a political sense and arguably in a spiritual sense uh, for the Jewish people after the Babylonian captivity. Um, As I say in the book, I've not said that. Um, I don't think we really know until the fullness of time and the unfolding of history what the real role of a figure is. Uh, We did not know, for example, that Ronald Reagan played the kind of historic role that he played in vanquishing the former Soviet Union and in a victory in the Cold War over communism until after he had left the presidency. What I can say is that when it comes to the issues that beat in the hearts and give meaning to the souls of tens of millions of voters of faith, whether it's the protection of innocent human life, religious freedom, uh, the First Amendment, uh, the sanctity of the traditional family, the centrality of the traditional family, uh, and the defense and support of the state of Israel and the Jewish people, uh, that Donald Trump has been a champion. And for that reason, I think he's going to get at least the 81% of the evangelical vote that he got four years ago and probably higher. Um, In your book, it's called God and Country, but I read that the original title was Render to God and to Trump. Does that mean they're the same? Uh, No, not at all. It was a a play on the very historic uh, conversation that Jesus had with the Pharisees where they brought him a coin and asked whether or not it was lawful for Jews to pay taxes to Caesar, of course, they were then under the brutal occupation and the subjugation of the Roman Empire. And Jesus very famously replied, render to God the things that are God and render to Caesar 
the things that are Caesar's. And I argue, not just in the book, but I've argued throughout my uh, career as I've worked within the Christian community to encourage people to be effective citizens, that effectively, Sally, we carry two passports. Uh, one passport is for the kingdom of heaven, which is both here today and is yet to come fully. And with that citizenship comes certain responsibilities and obligations and duties, uh, including caring for the poor, uh, worshiping with other believers, tithing and giving to ministry and reading the Bible and praying regularly. And then we also have an earthly citizenship. And I think in the American context, that passport and that citizenship requires that we be educated and informed, registered to vote, vote in large numbers, and uh, contact our elected officials on the issues and values that we care about. And that, that was really what that working title uh, was meant to convey. Do you see Trump as the defender of the faith? Uh, well, I, I, I see Jesus Christ as the Lord, Savior, and defender of the faith. I see Donald Trump as the president of the United States. He's a friend. He's somebody that I've had the privilege and honor of getting to know personally long before he became president. Uh, I think he's somebody who's made certain commitments, not just to the faith community, uh, but to the American people that he has kept with regard to uh, being a champion for life, uh, being a defender of religious freedom and our rights under the First Amendment to share our faith and to practice our faith free from persecution and harassment, especially by the government. And he promised to be a friend of the state of Israel, and he has been so. So he's kept his word, not just to us, but to the American people on these, what we consider to be moral issues. And in that sense, I think he's a champion of those issues. But um, I, I don't uh, see him uh, beyond that public policy and political context. That, that, as I said, is something I leave to the good Lord and to the verdict of history. So the main issues, I, I think there are a lot of people who really don't understand why Christian evangelicals are so engaged and so favorable toward Trump when often he doesn't necessarily embody what one would think of as Christian values. Um, you talk about the issues that really matter, which are um, the courts, the abortion, Israel, religious freedom. You've mentioned mm -hmm. the First Amendment twice, um, and obviously freedom of religion is in the First Amendment, but also freedom of speech. And um, he's referred many times to journalists as enemies of the people, um, which is hard to um, imagine if, if you are a defender of the First Amendment. Um, and so I wonder if you could explain that and, and also to explain why the Christians, the evangelical Christians, are so um, vehement in their support of Israel. Well, there's a lot there. Um, I'll tackle the second one first. I think that uh, Christians believe that, that Jews have suffered historical and invidious persecution um, really throughout history. 
but in the last hundred years, we've witnessed uh, the pogroms of Tsarist Russia. We've witnessed the Holocaust under Nazi Germany, and we witnessed the anti-Semitic regime of the Soviet Union. And so I think uh, evangelicals believe as a matter of their faith and their reading of scripture that God gave the land that is roughly analogous to modern the modern state of Israel to the Jews, both as their historic homeland with Jerusalem as its capital and also as a refuge, uh, given the fact that they have actually not been safe in most of the rest of the world. They needed to have a place where they could be, where they could be safe and where they could raise their families and and practice their faith free from fear of death and persecution and harassment. And so the Christian community has always been a strong supporter of Israel. I can remember as a child growing up in, in a church, uh, a, a church going family, I can still remember us going to see The Hiding Place, a movie produced by the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, uh, telling the story of the Tin Boone family. Uh, of Holland, who, you know, protected and hid Jews during the, the Holocaust, and ultimately they were sent to concentration camps, and members of the Ten Boom family died in Nazi concentration camps because they defended the Jews. And I can remember my mother in a Methodist Bible study reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer's letters from prison. And so from a very early age, for me, I associated my own Christian faith with the defense of Jews and later the state of Israel. And Donald Trump, by moving the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, by recognizing Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights, uh, and by making it clear that Jewish neighborhoods in Judea and Samaria, what we refer to in diplomatic language as the West Bank, does not violate international law, and the most recent peace treaties that he has helped usher in with Bahrain and UAE, and we hope others, all helps to protect Israel. With regard to the First Amendment, uh, the, the other part of your question, I, I don't think there's anything new about a rhetorically adversarial relationship between presidents and the press. And in fact, under his predecessor, uh, reporters were surveilled. And there have been cases where reporters were jailed for refusing to disclose their sources under prior administrations. Um, and I think that while Donald Trump has a, you know, a back and forth with the media that can be rhetorically very adversarial, uh, I, I don't believe for one minute that he doesn't value the role that the press plays under our constitutional system. I think he's just calling them to be referees that call balls and strikes rather than wearing the uniform of the other team. You know, um, when we talk about the, the those four issues, um, there are also two issues that you don't mention. One of them recent, which uh, both of them recent, actually, uh, the coronavirus, which is recent, race relations, which is not, not recent, but has become a major issue in the mm -hmm. last several months. Um, how do you, th how do the evangelical Christian, how does the Christian community respond to the president's reaction to both the coronavirus and the race relations? 
Well, I think and, in terms of race, you in terms of race relations, in terms of race relations, speaking just for my organization, Faith and Freedom, uh, we believe that Black lives do matter. Uh, we believe that all Black lives matter. So, first of all, we don't favor anyone being discriminated against or being treated as a second-class citizen because of the color of their skin or their ethnic background. Uh, second of all, we believe that the uh, current regime of abortion is a form of African-American genocide because even though Blacks represent roughly one out of every 10 Americans, they represent one out of every two abortions. And we point to the eugenic and racist philosophy that Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, argued at the time. And we've uh, called on Planned Parenthood to repudiate that racist heritage. We don't think there's any way around the fact that in looking at a racially just society, if you have a half a million or more African-Americans losing their lives before they're even born, that's an issue of justice. On the issue of education reform, charters, and choice, we believe that far too many minority Americans are living in schools that Bill Bennett famously said could have been designed by the Ku Klux Klan, where they cannot learn, where they are not safe, and where they're not going to have the requisite basic skills to survive. And finally, I'll mention one other issue related to this, criminal justice reform. My organization has been working on criminal justice reform since roughly 2013. Uh, we've advocated uh, putting an end to what we believe is an institutionally discriminatory system of criminal justice that disproportionately affects minorities. And it was under Donald Trump that we were able to pass the First Step Act. We tried as hard as we could under Obama. And I, this is not the format today uh, to discuss why it went awry. But we believe the Obama administration prevented criminal justice reform from happening because of it, its insistence on certain provisions on which there wasn't bipartisan consensus. So we support all those things with regard to COVID. Uh, I believe that whether it's on you know, mass production of ventilators or the most sophisticated and expansive testing system that the world knows, what we hope under Operation Warp Speed will soon be a vaccine for COVID and on making the very difficult decision, first to impose the travel ban on China and then later to actually shut the economy down uh, for a period of roughly four weeks that Donald Trump took extraordinary and historic steps to save what may well have been hundreds of thousands and maybe millions of lives. And I think, um, you know, that the criticism of him is, is mostly political. For, for a second, um, he has sort of mocked people for wearing masks and he doesn't wear a mask himself. And he's giving these huge rallies where there are thousands of people close together and not wearing masks. And, and it, it, somehow that just doesn't seem Christian to bring people together when, as he told Bob Woodward, he knew how dangerous this virus was. It seems like he's not protecting people. And and I don't. Do you wear a mask? I mean, would you go to a rally uh, where everybody's squinched in together with no masks? 
Well, I'm I'm at a conference this week where we're wearing masks and, you know, I'm currently doing evangelical for Trump campaign events uh, where we're abiding by the the public health protocols of whatever state in which we're having the event and encouraging people to wear masks and wearing masks ourselves. I don't wear a mask when I speak at the podium or on the stage, but uh, sure, we believe in protecting lives. I think where Donald Trump gets high marks from people of faith is he's called on a number of these governors and states to allow churches to reopen. And we have far too many states today where it's okay to go to a liquor store or a massage parlor or, or a casino, but you can't go to church if there are more than 10 or 50 people, even though some of these churches can hold as many as a thousand people socially distanced. So, um, you know, we, we believe in protecting life and in abiding by public health protocols. What we don't like is when we think the faith community has been targeted in an unfair and even an unconstitutional manner. And on that issue, Donald Trump has been an ally and a champion. The last thing I'll say is with regard to the allegation that he allegedly downplayed the seriousness of the virus, uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci has said that he does not believe that's the case, that he believes that both the president and his coronavirus task force made it abundantly clear in multiple briefings, multiple public health statements, that this was dangerous and you don't take the unprecedented step of banning travel from China on January 31st, later Europe, and then shutting down the economy for something that wasn't dangerous and lethal. It was very clear that it was. Ralph, um, the, what I'd like to ask you is this, is there any thing on about Donald Trump that white Christians would ever speak out against anything that you would you know he had the famous line which we all know that he'd walk down Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and they wouldn't care mm -hmm. do you think that's true do you think it's okay um is, is there anything he could do that would turn off his base his voters well, you know, look, I, I've said many times before that there are things that Donald Trump says and does that I wish he wouldn't say or do. Um, that's not unique to him. You know, I, I've worked on multiple presidential campaigns. I've worked with many uh, presidents. Uh, there are certainly issues, Sally, where we come from a or have come from a different viewpoint. And we've communicated that to him in no uncertain terms. We do it in private. We do it respectfully because we think that's the most efficacious way uh, to proceed. I mentioned one of those before, criminal justice reform. He was not, as a candidate in 2016 or in his first year as president, where he is today on criminal justice reform. We've done the same thing on immigration. Uh, we favor comprehensive immigration reform that includes a solution for the dreamers. And we've seen him move on that issue. So uh, no, we're not at 100% agreement on every issue. But um, I will say this, on the issues that I've mentioned, as well as many other issues that we care deeply about, he's been receptive, he's been open, he's listened. I've seen it. I've seen pastors of multiracial, 
and predominantly Hispanic churches in his presence speak from their hearts about the importance of welcoming uh, the alien and the stranger. And I've seen him receptive to that. So I've just seen a different side of him. Uh, sure, there are things on which we occasionally disagree, including some things that he says or tweets. But in terms of the issues that, as I said, we believe are issues of right and wrong and involve issues of advancing the moral good or resisting grave moral evils like terrorism, hostility to the Jewish people and to Israel, the sanctity of human life, on these, he has been one of the greatest friends and one of the greatest champions that we have ever had. So well, we are going to have to stop now, but I just want to ask you, you, would you say that Donald Trump is a, a great moral leader? Uh, what I would say is on these issues that I've talked about, he has advanced moral goods and the common good, and he has resisted grave moral evils like terrorism and abortion on demand. Ralph, I wish we had more time to talk. I have a thousand more questions. Um, maybe we can do it again sometime. Thank you so much for your help and for your um, goodwill. And um, we will see you soon. I'd love to do it anytime, Sally. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.